Hello and welcome to the Over the Barricade Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Downing, joined as always by my tag team partner who's not in the room. He's on location at some sort of paradise island. It's the deadliest catch, Lee Brando. How's it going? How's the paradise island? You know, I'm kicking back, having a little drinky-winky. It's going okay. Can we? Can you promise the audience that you'll never say drinky-winky again? Uh, I cannot promise that uh, with a good conscience. Well, at least you're being honest. That's all I can be. And hey, it's not my word. I believe it's Chris Jericho's. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I've definitely heard him say it, you know. Uh, he does those talk and shop live with uh, Gallows and Anderson, the Good Brothers. And uh, I think they have a few drinky winkies while they do it. Huh. I just feel like now I'm just not in on it. And I, I, now, I, 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 now I feel bad. No, don't, don't feel bad. Uh, I don't know if you want to reveal this, but... Uh, you don't really partake in the drinky winkies. No. No, I do not. Why would I not yeah. want to reveal that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how personal you want this to get. I guess this this episode will get a little personal, but um, we do have a ton to talk about. I don't know what you want to take uh, the lead story to. I mean, I think the biggest thing in the world of sports and entertainment right now is Mac- uh, McGregor Mayweather. Which was uh, not even... Their- it's just not even been on my radar because I just don't pay attention to it. Well, the thing is, it's not. Uh, it shouldn't be, I should say. It should not be a sanctioned fight. But because of the massive amount of money that is going to be grossed, I mean, they're going to gross in one night what UFC or WWE does in an entire year. Maybe more. So, I mean, it, the predictions are really getting out of hand. Um, whereas they started around 2.5 million pay-per-view buys at uh, basically $100 for the HD. Um, now the estimates and what they're telling potential sponsors is 7 million pay-per-view buys, which is just, I don't even know if that's possible how many children would would uh, Vince McMahon sacrifice to get a seven million by pay, uh, WrestleMania? I think he would dine on an orphanage full of children's corpses for that. Wow, I thought I was dark. I, I like to take it up to eleven. So, um, but anyway, yes, we- I. I we, it's yeah. been it's been a busy week. There's been a lot that's happened. Yeah, uh, but just for frame of reference, the biggest pay-per-view in history was uh, Mayweather-Pacquiao, and that did 4.5 million. So to beat that by over 2 million is probably impossible. And even if even if they match that I'll be impressed. I don't think it'll even get to that. You know, they're saying 1.4 million buys in the UK alone, which is like the entire population, <laughs> you know? So, um, it, it'll be very interesting. 
and uh, the promos and everything are the best pro wrestling promos that I've seen in a while. If I remember this correctly, McGregor Mayweather is one week after WrestleMania, or not WrestleMania, SummerSlam, so six days later. It's right around the time, I think. It's not the same weekend. It's not the same weekend, no. That would be a death nail for SummerSlam. Uh, it's either the week before or the week after, and they, UFC, which is not involved in the promotion of this fight, this is a Showtime fight, um, though Dana White is involved in the promotion, UFC technically is not. They will be getting one-third of what McGregor makes off of the fight. Um, but UFC is not running in August because of this. Um, and pretty much anything around this time period in August, pretty much any sporting event in August is dead in the water. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to SummerSlam because of that. Well, SummerSlam is August 20th. And mm-hmm. six days later is Mayweather McGregor. So it's the following weekend. So I would expect if uh, they're, if WWE's marketing team is able to swing it, I would expect at least some sort of additional promotion because we know they're not afraid to, to team up with guys like McGregor, or guys like Mayweather um, or McGregor to, uh, to move forward with something. It's just a matter of would Mayweather and McGregor consider doing anything, consider WWE as a way of helping promote it that much further. I don't I don't know. I think it's so big at this point they don't need the WWE's uh rub, but you know, Triple H has already formally invited both of them to Monday Night Raw. Uh I'm sure they would love for them to have a spot on SummerSlam. I know that the last stop of the world tour is in New York. Um I just don't know. It'll probably be well before SummerSlam actually happens. I'm sure, uh, given that the six days beforehand, I imagine both of them will be deep in training. Yes, and that's another thing. Like They're going to be so focused, um, especially McGregor, because he has a lot to prove. This is not a fight. This is not in an octagon. This is a boxing match under boxing uh, regulations and boxing rules. So he's out of his element, which is why this fight should have never been sanctioned. This is really a mismatch. I mean, McGregor is a great fighter, but he's going against, you know, what some people call the greatest boxer of all time. Um, So it's, you know, it's interesting. So, yeah, I I doubt that WWE will get anything from it, uh, but you know, they're going to try. I mean, they've already tried. There was already the tweets from Enzo Amore to Conor McGregor and now this invitation from Triple H. So, yeah, they're going to try. I mean, they they love getting that um, cross-promotion. Obviously, they had Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania when she was still the biggest thing in combat sports. Um, and I think she's actually present for the May Young Classic tapings that are going on currently as we record this podcast. Yeah, that's important, too. Those will air late in August, um, but that tournament is taking place right now. Um, 
the one thing I think that's hurt that's gonna hurt the May Young Classic, it's being taped. The the schedule for it is so much tighter and it's being taped yeah. so quick so early before it's gonna start being aired. I wonder if WWE is hurting themselves because I feel like they could have gotten a lot of momentum behind this if they had done it like the Cruiserweight Classic, but I believe because I think their issue with the Cruiserweight Classic was the, there was the ultimate fear that they didn't have those guys necessarily under long-term contracts. If something happens to one of them, you know, because they're going out and they're wrestling other matches uh, for other promotions while they're in the Cruiserweight Classic and they get hurt, that hurts WWE's product. So maybe that was something that went into their mind with the female talent putting together the Mae Young Classic, which is why they're filming it the way they are and why they're going to air it so much later. Yeah, but see, I, I still don't understand why they decided. I mean, to me, the model that they had with the Cruiserweight Classic worked. So I'm not, I don't really understand why they're changing that. And like you said, what we get from that is taped really early. So there's going to be a lot, like a month of lag time between when it was taped and when it's shown. So it's going to be very difficult to avoid spoilers. And most hardcore fans, which is the audience that's going to watch the Mae Young Classic, will already know the winners and losers. Plus, on top of that, they're going to like put out, uh, uh, they're just going to spill a bunch of episodes onto the network all at once. And you're going to have less than a week, maybe a week, to binge and catch up on everything before the uh, the finals. So it's uh, it is strange. I, I'm not really sure what their thought process was, but you know we'll we'll see if it works for them. Yeah, it the the what they're doing is obviously they're filming it today and tomorrow, and they will be streaming it on the network starting Monday, August 28th. Uh, I'm now I'm reading WWE's website at this point mm-hmm. uh starting monday may 20 uh, excuse me august 28th uh, may young classic with the first four episodes available on demand episodes five through eight will be available on demand monday september 4th the final match will stream live from las vegas on tuesday september 12th so they are going to have the finals much later but it's a very different concept than what they did with the cruiserweight classic where they had a 10-week show that aired every Wednesday, uh, I believe it was right after NXT. So it was a, a 9 p.m. Wednesday airing on the network. You could catch up with it just like anything else on the network. And it was wildly successful. And it taped over three different taping sessions over two months. Um, I, a month and a half to two months, I believe. So And it went off pretty much without a hitch. The only complaint anybody really had about it was the who won because the match everybody wanted was Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kota Ibushi and we got exactly the opposite with those two being eliminated in the semifinals um and not that I I don't think people were super upset with TJ Perkins at the time but um felt like a little bit of a letdown yeah I mean it could have gone or you know, in all people's opinion, it should have gone the other way. But I still think the Cruiserweight Classic was done pretty well. And I guess they can't really do, like, obviously the most ideal thing to do would be to do each round of the May Young Classic live. But I guess the costs involved in doing that are too high to make it not worth it. Not 
you know, the the network has its own budget and it's already way up from years prior due to the fact that they're adding a second pay-per-view most months and that is counted towards the network's budget. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, we'll see if it works. But anyway, uh, we talked about Mayweather McGregor. We'll see what that does. Uh, May Young Classic, I think we need to talk about another huge success in promotion and business uh, that's happened in the world of wrestling, and that was night two of the G1 special in Long Beach from New Japan Pro. Yes, we talked about uh, last week, we discussed the first week, uh, excuse me, the first night, which aired live uh, on Access TV. We had a long discussion about it. Uh, And then, of course, we wanted to hold off because the airing in the U.S. was on Access TV this past Friday, which, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned when we were discussing before we hit record, uh, feels like so long ago, (laughs) but it was... Not even quite so a week. So much has happened. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was quite the weekend after we uh, after we sh- turned off uh, after we wrapped up and I we posted everything. Uh, let's let's quickly burn through the card. Uh, first match okay. uh, was a six man tag, Jushin Thunder Liger teaming with David Finley and Kushida defeating the the Tempura Boys and Yoshitatsu. So somewhat of a the, the tag matches they had were kind of mix and match from the tag matches they had the night before. Um, this time yeah, with... Yeah, and I uh, actually had someone ask me that I was watching them with. They were like, are they doing so many six-man, eight-man, ten-man tags to get as many people on the card as possible? And I was like, well, there is that, but also this is really kind of New Japan's booking style. Yeah. Um, and in these multi-man tag they will use that, you know, uh, for, for like, for instance, if Okada's in one, they'll they'll use that, and Omega will get a win over Okada, and that'll set up the next singles match for the heavyweight title. But anyway, um, right, and it, it yeah. well, you also see some of the kind of the house show live event type booking with, uh, you know, Liger lost the night before, and Liger was the big name in this match, and. Liger gets the win uh, this night. So right. it's a way to kind of have a comeback. But it also means, like, you look at Kushida. Kushida was victorious both nights. Uh, Kushida and David Finley were both victorious both nights. So it wasn't completely 50-50, but it kind of seemed that way with some of the initial booking. Um, yeah, and on some of the house shows for New Japan, um, there won't be any singles matches. It'll all be tag and multi-man tag matches which is interesting i don't know if you could get away with that in the states i think you could and the reason i to a degree i think the reason you do that is because if you're if you're new japan and they have their own history with this so i might just be speaking without knowing um but it seems to me the idea would be you would have it just putting everybody in tag matches means everybody gets to hit their spots. So even if you don't get a sixty-minute, you know, time limit draw, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a night where you can say, "I saw every big star New Japan has." Right, and and from a performer standpoint, they get to pump the brakes a little bit. Not that you're not working hard in a tag match, but you do get to rest up a little bit if you need to hide 
an injury or something like that, there's more leeway there. Yeah, and then that works well for... I think tag matches are pretty good when you're a guy like Jushin Liger, who is uh, notably older as a competitor. Yeah, Um, north of 50 and still better than, you know, 90% of the wrestlers out there. (laughs) I mean, Jushin Liger came in and had a really good match with Tyler Breeze a few years ago. Lest people forget. Um, That was such a weird and cool thing they did with TakeOver Brooklyn. The first one with having bringing in Jushin Thunder Liger for a one night event, and he he never stopped wrestling for New Japan. He just came in for a night and wrestled for WWE. Yeah, it was it was, it was weird, interesting. It was a weird it and interesting gave, time in NXT. <laughs> yeah, and it definitely kind of gave NXT that aura, which it still kind of carries on, where it's kind of more for the hardcore fans, more for the yeah. indie indie fans or fans that. Um, are just fans of all different styles and uh, regions of wrestling. So That's right. So uh, we move along to the first semifinal match in the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship Tournament, pitting the cleaner Kenny Omega against Jay Lethal. Uh, Lethal coming in uh, in kayfabe having injured ribs, although it might not have been strictly in kayfabe. Um Regardless, uh, Omega and Lethal have a really good 13-minute match, and every time, one of the things I like about New Japan, and I think most hardcore fans like about New Japan, is for the most part, they do better storytelling in the ring. Feels like WWE, and you and I have talked about this in the past, it feels like kind of a rush to get to the next spot. New Japan, it can be really fast-paced. And sometimes it is a rush to get to the next spot. But a lot of times, when you get two really good wrestlers, they tell a really good story, even if it's the second match on the card and the semifinal for a tournament. Yeah, and these two especially, I mean, you can learn a lot just from picking apart, like you said, a 13-minute match between Omega and Jay Lethal that wasn't even the main event. Um, if you slow it down and, and watch kind of every decision that they chose to make, you can learn a lot about how wrestling is uh, put together. And they had they had a really good match, and they told a really good story with Jay Lethal trying three or four times to hit the Lethal Injection. He did hit it, but he didn't have enough on Omega. Omega hits the, I believe Omega hit the one-winged angel to put him away. Um, and Omega moves on to be the first finalist, and he would meet the winner between the not, the following match, which... Didn't, in the crowd, like, the crowd liked, was hot for the stars. I don't think they were hot for the match at first. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. and Tomohiro Ishii. And they put on a really good match. Uh, Match went 11 and a half minutes. And I was really curious because the one thing I see with, sometimes with Zack Sabre Jr. matches is they can get a little too methodical. And with Mm -hmm. Ishii, they can get a little too just being a hoss. Um, yeah. you know, but this one, I feel they struck the perfect balance and they told a story that made a lot of sense with Saber initially trying to go toe to toe with Ishii and then going full sack Saber Jr. and throwing out every submission and every hold he had just to try and stop Ishii and Ishii, of course, powering through and, uh, eventually picking up the victory. Yeah, it was a mismatch of styles, I would say, but um, 
they found a way to make the story work. And, um, it was interesting. Ishii, for me, is an interesting choice to put in the final against Omega. But um, I guess either one would have been either one would have been interesting. Um, but uh, it did lead to a very good match, which we'll get to later on. Yes, that would be the main event. Kenny Omega versus Tomohiro Ishii for uh, who would be the inaugural IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion, but we will get there. We will get there in time as uh, another couple of tag matches. First, a 10-man tag with a Lucha Libre-inspired tag match here. Dragon Lee, Jay White, Juice Robinson, Teton, and Volador Jr. take on Los Ingono. Oh, goodness. I had it down, and now I'm messing up. Los Ingobernables de Japón uh, of Bushi, Evil, uh, Hiromu Takahashi, Sonata, and of course their leader, Tetsuya Naito, who is mm-hmm. so over with the American crowd. Um, is yeah. Naito a face now? Or is he gray area? Or is he a legit heel? I cannot tell. I think he's a legit heel. I just think that crowd was so smart that you, it, it's almost unfair to take their reaction <laughs> you know um he, i mean he's beloved by the crowd i mean, but if it's funny because if you flip it back when he was a baby face nobody bought it <laughs> so well you know so such is the way in professional wrestling in in 2017 yeah i guess i guess that's true uh this ended up being a, a really in, a good match too between uh what ended up being it, Juice Robinson getting inject or getting uh, injected, getting added to this match um, as he lost in the first round to Zack Sabre Jr. and it was a really good match. The one thing about these multi-man tag matches is you get little snippets of everybody, and this would especially be the case in the next match. But it ends up being highly entertaining, um, and which does, as I mentioned, swing us into the six-man tag that followed it, the Bullet Club with. Uh, Hangman Page, Tama Tonga, and Tonga Roa taking on Michael Elgin and War Machine. Uh, Hangman Page also eliminated the night before, and mm-hmm. this ended up being an entertaining match It's in and, in and of itself with the Bullet Club with uh, Hangman Page and the Gorillas of Destiny taking on War Machine and Michael Elgin, which just hoss all the way around and Hangman Page. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the trio of Elgin and War Machine is like, come on. <laughs> Elgin <laughs> you know? feels like the long-lost brother of that tag team. That's three guys I would not want to meet in an alleyway, um, <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah, just three big hoss, big, strong, you know, just ugly, like, nasty strength. Um, but, yeah, it did, it did prove to be uh, a pretty entertaining six-man especially for having much larger guys uh, that, you know, these guys, they, they really can move. You know, they're not like um, some of the big guys you see that have, you know, graced the WWE over the years. Um, these guys are agile and come off the ropes at you and also pick you up and, and throw you around like a ragdoll. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, Bullet Club walks away with a victory. So the Bullet Club at this point in the night is two for two with three more matches to come. Tell me the Bullet Club isn't all over this card. 
uh, as the following match would be the tag team match for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. Uh, The Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, taking on Rapongi Vice in a rematch from their Dominion matchup. And these two teams have been feuding for the better part of a year. And they do put on really good matches. Beretta and Rocky Romero playing really good uh, face challengers. Uh, The one thing I notice with any Young Bucks match is the Young Bucks do not always sell, but... It still really? seems <laughs> it still seems really good. Um, it it feels like you all in a lot of ways you can give them a pass because it's really entertaining. Um, whereas Beretta and Rocky Romero sell like crazy, which is I think why yeah. they've been so good to be up against the Young Bucks. Yeah, the Young Bucks style is not the typical New Japan style. It's really not the typical American style. It's like a superfied indie style mm-hmm. uh, with you know, very minimal selling, uh, which, you know, they do have their fair share of critics over. Yes. Um, but Hey, they're, it's working for them. I just saw a tweet from, uh, I think it was Nick. Uh, but anyway, it was one of the young bucks and somebody had asked them how, how's everything going with the hot topic deal. And they said, we've made more from the beginning of the year to now than we did all of last year, which was our best year yet so they're doing pretty good well, they're, um they're to say the least they're you know icons outside of the mothership uh they're it's hard to say independent because new japan really isn't an independent promotion but the young no, bucks not, not at all the young bucks do independent shows and they don't have new japan doesn't really have a marketing machine for the talent as much like wwe does um, especially in the states. Yeah, especially especially in the states. And this is really important because the guys like the Young Bucks and to an extension Kenny Omega, this is one of the things the Bullet Club has been so helpful in for a lot of the guys who have been involved. It they're able to promote in such a way that they don't need the heavy marketing machine and it's not that they don't work hard. They work incredibly hard, but yeah. They and they earn it. But they're able to get themselves over just by being different and, you know, being... They found a way to hit the mainstream, being in the Bullet Club, uh, which has changed a bit since it was originally started. Um, They have found a way to hit the mainstream as far as mainstream wrestling goes. And while not kind of losing what got them there in the first place. There's such... They're so over with the the smart marks and anybody who follows wrestling beyond WWE that you know it's insane. They're the they're super heels. They'll probably always be super heels, um, but they're always going to get cheered. They are essentially a much. I guess they are kind of the perfect hybrid between DX and the NWO, which is why the Two Sweet and the Crotch Chops makes sense for them. DX, NWO, and Hardy Boys. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, I think all of that blends in. Yeah, they, they've kind of taken the best of from all the best factions and tag teams and everything. Um, but, you know, it is interesting be, to say that they, they are a success uh, without the WWE machine behind them because 
you know, one could easily argue that it WWE wouldn't know how to handle it property properly and might uh, they might not be as successful if they had the machine behind them, which is a really interesting uh, concept. You know, a lot of the uh, pillars of wrestling that people just, you know, accepted as fact for so long are starting to unravel Um you know, uh, and one of those is you can't really make it unless you uh, are part of the WWE. And mm-hmm. we're starting to see that, you know what, you you can really make it. You can really make the big money uh, outside of it. Um, now, obviously, that's not as common, uh, but it's no. certainly more common than it's ever been in history, you know, barring another major company like WCW or the NWA in its heyday. Yeah, absolutely. The the it's hard near it's nigh impossible to achieve the level of success that the Bucks have managed to achieve and have largely pushed themselves to get there. Uh, they're about as close to self-made as you can get. They obviously needed other guys as wrestling is. You always need opponents and you need a promotion that's going to push you. Um, but they do a lot of their own marketing. They do a lot of their own hard work. Their own hard work is what got them in a Hot Topic. The Hot Topic deal they just signed, where now Bullet Club shirts are in Hot Topics nationwide and across North America. Uh, and selling fast. And selling fast. Uh, for anybody who watches Being the Elite, which I just caught their uh, most recent episode, they went to a Hot Topic and they were sold out of everything. So, except for the one. They had one t-shirt, and I think it's because they called and asked them to hold it. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny, because in one of the things, too, and we'll, we're going to get into this as we go into the next matchup, as the Young Bucks uh, retained their title against Rapongi Vice, and I'll come back to that match in a second because of what happened afterwards. But we see a little bit of this in the following matchup, which was the eight-man tag, Bullet Club against... Um, uh, taking on Chaos, which was uh, Jay and Mark Briscoe, Kazuchika Okada, and Will Ospreay. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Bullet Club this time being featured by Bad Luck Fale, Cody, Marty Skrull, and Yujiro Takahashi. Marty Skrull, to, re- to learned wrestling fans, is a known commodity, at least in the last six months. But he him being in the Bullet Club and being associated with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega has helped him skyrocket. Everybody who who gets added to that group seems to help their career significantly, at least in the States, among among the crowd that's buying the shirts and buying the merch and doing everything, going to the shows. It's It's really crazy, and I think part of that... I think part of that is what's fueling the kind of New Japan renaissance, especially in North America. Well, they certainly have made a lot of the right choices. You know, um, when you look at the alumni of the Bullet Club, um, they're not, you know, I'm, I would argue that at this point in time they measure up uh to just as good uh, and in many cases better than the alumni to say the NWO or you know well D Generation X is not really a fair comparison because 
it it was much smaller. Um, the Bullet Club is very large, and it's it's impressive in pro wrestling to have a stable that grows to that size that doesn't collapse in on itself. Um, and you know, it, it, it's like, you know, they had Billy Gunn on the show, but they would never have Billy Gunn join the Bullet Club, you know, but you look at who they've had in it, you know, Finn Balor, uh, AJ Styles, uh, you know, Gallus and Anderson. And of course now they have arguably, you know, easily arguably the greatest wrestler on the planet, Kenny Omega at this, you know, as of today. Um, so they make the right choices. Um, they have their, they have smart promoters within the bullet club, i.e. the young bucks. And, you know, the success of it is due to all of that. You know, they, they, they took the ball and they ran with it. And I remember people, um, when there was kind of that mass exodus, uh, a few years back, uh, from New Japan to WWE with Nakamura and, you know, Gals and Anderson and AJ Styles, all that. I remember people saying, you know, this might be the end of the Bullet Club, basically. Um, but arguably, they're more popular than ever. Um, and there's no signs of really stopping. So that was smart booking, smart people within the group itself, and really talented wrestlers, I think, is the recipe's for success, but I do want to get back to the Young Bucks match versus Rapongi Vice because it was pretty notable for what happened during and after it. Um, yeah, that's right. The, with, match, uh, the match ended with uh, the Young Bucks picking up the victory, keeping their titles, but in um, what was a really good 20-23 minute match, um, really entertaining as the Young Bucks matches normally are, but Young Bucks and Rapongi Vice were, I feel like they were pretty much meant for each other. Um, but after the match is concluded, uh, Rocky Romero grabs a mic and starts uh, talking a little bit about the history of RPG, um, or RPG, uh, of Rapongi Vice, and talking about how he came to, to Trent Beretta, and they formed this partnership. And he felt like they had essentially crescendoed. They had reached their peak. And that it was time for Beretta to step up to them to the heavyweight division. Which in New Japan, if you're under if you're two hundred and twenty pounds or under, you're in the light heavyweight, uh the junior heavyweight division, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. and that they obviously they have their own uh, junior heavyweight champion, who right now is Kushida. They have their own tag team championship. So, you know, uh, junior heavyweights are well-lauded in New Japan and treated properly, I might, I might add. Um, yeah. But it's still a big deal to go from a junior heavyweight up to the heavyweight division. And we saw when you mentioned when AJ Styles left the Bullet Club. Well, when he did that, it was immediately, you know, he was beat down by uh, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega Kenny Omega got on the mic and said he was tired of being in the junior heavyweight division. He was going for heavyweight, and that decision was huge for him and obviously has put him to where he is now. But, uh, you know, that was really good booking and a really good decision all the way around. Probably not going to see the same level of success out of Trent Beretta, but I am intrigued to see what they do with him moving forward because Beretta is a good wrestler. 
Um, you know, you just kind of, in WWE, never really got the time of day. Um, and in New Japan, he's been in a successful tag team. But, you know, now what do you do? Yeah, what was his um, WWE name? Kalen Croft or something like that? He he was Trent Beretta. He was Trent Beretta in WWE? Uh-huh. Maybe his tag team partner was Kalen Croft. Maybe that's what I'm thinking his of. His tag team partner was Kalen Croft. Hang on, give okay. me a second. I will pull that up. Uh, a crack okay. research team, pull that up. Yes, I, I put them to it. But, uh, yeah, where Trent Beretta has kind of stood the litmus test in New Japan where a lot of ex-WWE guys kind of come in with that WWE stink and the New Japan fans aren't always so receptive to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think Trent got in at a time where, and and maybe just the the nature of which his WWE run had, he, he's, he was less susceptible to that. Um, so I think the New Japan crowd really accepts him, really likes him. And I think that his build and his uh, wrestling ability could take him to that main event level scene. But I think there are a lot of others in his way that are more established in that main event level scene. But you never know. I mean, if the story becomes, you know, say the story becomes... um, somebody needs challengers you know say say okada is still champion a year from now and he's beaten everybody then maybe you know beretta gets his shot in the main event i mean already this year we've seen okada bad luck fale who you know some would argue bad luck fale isn't a main event level guy and i remember a lot of people going into that match were saying you know they weren't very interested because there's little chance that fale is going to win and he's really not seen, he's more of the bodyguard type, he's really not seen as a single star. But you know what, they ended up having a really good match. So I think that um, anything is possible, especially in New Japan. And I think with Trent Beretta's skill and likability and everything like that, we'll see. I mean, he could go through, and he probably will go through, kind of a metamorphosis as far as his character. I don't think he'll stick with the same kind of Rapongi Vice s character, but he could. You know, we we don't know, but I think that and he'll be given an edge in my estimation. But um, the match itself, I just wanted to do a side note of this junior heavyweight um, tag team championship match between the Young Bucks and Rapongi Vice. Um, shortly before the match, it, it it I I believe it was um, the early morning or the the late, late night between night one and night two of the G1 special. Um, Dave Meltzer, you know, pretty much the top wrestling journalist of all time, uh, his father passed away. And as you know, the Young Bucks have a special relationship with Dave Meltzer. They name their tandem finishing move the Meltzer Driver, which is a springboard 450 into a tombstone. Uh, which is really crazy if you've ever seen it. <laughs> um, and so they kind of, the, the the story of the match was that the Young Bucks were going to do the craziest Meltzer driver ever in honor of Dave Meltzer's father. Uh, they were And they called it the Herb Meltzer driver because Dave Meltzer's father was the Herb Meltzer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is why we got the 
springboard to, or I can't remember if it was a springboard or if he just came off the top rope, but we got a 450 into a tombstone pile driver from the ring to the outside uh, floor, basically. Uh, it was the craziest, most dangerous looking move I've seen in a while, but, you know, thankfully, no one was seriously injured. Thankfully. Yeah, the Young Bucks are... The Young Bucks matches almost look like walking car crashes sometimes. <laughs> with with yeah, crotch kind of chops and two sweets. That's kind of the vibe that you get from a Young Bucks match, but, you know, it always it always gets over. Um, but, yes, the match ends and Rapongi Vice splits, and then, as we mentioned before, we go into Chaos, Team Chaos slash Ring of Honor versus uh, Bullet Club. In what I think, outside of... Yeah, I th- the best match of the night was the main event, but this might have yeah. been the most entertaining as far as just humor and mixed with good wrestling. Um, the crowd was hot for this match because they loved just about everyone in it. Um, yeah, see, it was about it was probably a ten minute match. Ten minute on the five, dime. Yeah, and five or six of those minutes, the first five or six minutes was all posturing and fluff and comedy and no action, <laughs> but it was over. Well, cause so I'm sitting there and I'm watching it. And I say everybody was, they liked everybody. They didn't like Cody. <laughs> um, no, I think that, you know, like I said before, he has that WWE stink, except with Cody, it works because he's not trying to be liked. That's his character. <laughs> But I also think, I don't know if it's so much that he's, I think that all those fans love Cody. I think it's, he's a heel, he is getting booed. I mean, you know, I think it's not all the time that way, but I think he is a good heel, he is getting booed, because people are booing the heel. I think they're doing what they're supposed to do. Good good on Cody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you have... He's really falling into his role well. You have, uh, you have... As the match, so th- there's a little bit of wrestling to start it, and then you had a few minutes, as you were mentioning, of posturing, and there's a moment where I believe it's uh, uh, Mark Briscoe um, is in the ring, and Cody is in the ring, and Cody, they start uh, they start chanting for the villain, Marty Skrull. So Cody goes out and tags him in, and then Marty Skrull tags in Cody. And then Cody tags in Skrull. And they do it like seven times. And the crowd just loses it. And they just yeah. keep tagging back and forth. And and then they started chanting, we want, or they start chanting, Fale, Fale, wanting bad luck, Fale. So Cody turns and he tags in Takahashi. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, uh, they boo and they Takahashi tags in Cody. And then they start chanting Fale again. He tags in Fale. The place loses it. Fale tags Cody back in. Yeah, it was. And, and then I they mean, started. They really had the crowd in then, the palm of their hands. And they started chanting Yujiro. And he tags in Takahashi, who immediately tagged back out to Cody. So yeah. basically, it was five minutes of just this playing around with the tagging. And the faces did it for once or twice. And it ended up being really funny, but it was really humorous all the way around. And it ended up, you know, all the funny things aside, it ended up being a really fun uh, tag match. 
which I believe either Fa- I believe Cody picked up the win with Fale had a really good showing, and Marty Skrull is just perfect for the Bullet Club. He he fits so perfectly in that group. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree, and um, it, it's interesting because he was kind of a late addition. He was added very um, recently. He uh, he took the place of one Adam Cole. Adam Cole. Bay. Yeah. Adam Who, Cole, uh, whose may future he rest is um, to, to BD, TBD. Um, but I believe he will probably show up in NXT around SummerSlam. So That seems to be the plan. Um, that's be the idea. Um, kind of the worst kept secret. Uh, which wrestling has many of, but anyway, may he rest uh, in peace. Um, but uh, so that ends up being a really good match. We want to move along. Tanahashi taking on Billy Gunn in what was a little bit of a weird match because why is Billy Gunn involved in this for the uh, Intercontinental Championship? Fifteen or fourteen and a half minute match. Tanahashi yeah. picks up the win, keeps his belt. This was a weird one. I think most people would say this was the worst match on the card. But did have did have a couple funny spots. It's really bad though when pulling down your, the tights of your opponent is the highlight of the match. Yeah, that's such like a goofy WWE or American you know spot, and it's it's not even contemporary you know it's like from the 80s i feel like that's something billy gunn talked tanahashi into doing yeah it definitely was a billy gunn idea um (laughs) you know i i love billy gunn i think he's great but i just think in this setting in this company on on a night like this with all the circumstances that this night had I don't know if it was the right choice, but, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a lot of people tuned in to see Billy Gunn. Probably not. Um, We get to the main event, Kenny Omega taking on Tomohiro Ishii uh, in the finals of the tournament to crown the first ever IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Champion. And we had ourselves a bit of a barn burner. I don't think Kenny Omega knows how to not wrestle four-star matches or better anymore. I think that's all he can handle. Yeah, I think that's that he doesn't get out of bed for under four stars. Um, and this match was, it felt like a fight. I mean, these guys were hitting each other, you know, as hard as possible. I mean, you could hear the contact. And, oh, my God, Ishii almost killed Kenny Omega with a German suplex off the apron through a table. Yeah, um, I was a little nervous about that spot when they went to go airborne. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just nasty, nasty looking. And that's the thing, you know, Kenny Omega takes these huge risks in, in all of his matches, but he seems to, you know, come out unscathed uh, which at is, this point. Which is interesting because you hear a lot of... Something that I know Jim Ross says a lot is, especially because we, we heard this a lot with women's wrestling, specifically Charlotte and Sasha at the end of last year. And it was leave something in the tank but i think part of that is kenny omega is performing that's essentially a house show but it's also it's a big showcase so you know it's a situation where he of course he's going to come to the states when they're you know new japan's having their first show there and he's going to lay hit out everything on the line to go have a great quality match and i there's a part of me that thinks they might have made a mistake not putting the belt, the 
heavyweight, uh, New Japan heavyweight title, or IWGP heavyweight title, on Kenny Omega uh, at Dominion. That being said, uh, now that it's already happened, they found themselves a heck of a first U.S. champion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, I, I don't necessarily agree with they should have put the IWGP heavyweight title on Kenny Omega. I think they would have been fine either way. Uh, I don't think it would have been a negative thing to put it on him, but I don't think it was absolutely necessary for them to do it either. I mean, Okada is having one of the greatest championship runs that anyone has ever had. And, you know, it just really... Now the story is... The story was every time Okada goes out to defend his title, it's, you know, a damn near a five-star match. Now the story is, when does it end, you know? <laughs> and not in a we-can't-wait-for-it-to-end way or anything like that. It's just, just a, like, yeah. who who's going to be the guy to dethrone Okada? Which is, you know, this whole other interesting story. And it's almost kind of that vibe you get or you used to get from like an Undertaker WrestleMania match. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily the match. It was, will it end? Or is this the guy to do it? Or, you know, and then you had most people saying, nah, it shouldn't end. It should, it should just go on forever. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that about Okada. So it's, it's a whole different dynamic to the match, which, you know, whenever Okada defends his title now, you're not really going to have any, disinterest in the match it's always going to be a big news item mm -hmm. um so that is a powerful tool you know that is the reason why you can put him against cody and people will pay attention whereas before maybe not so much not you saying anything against cody but he's certainly not in the pantheon of new japan he's certainly not at that level you, um, you could put him in a guy like against a guy like cody who's kind of new and a really brash heel or a guy like Fale who has been around for a while has never really gotten to that through to that level um, and he's going to pull great matches out of both guys yeah so I mean the G1 special I think did a really great job I think they were more than surprised by the response from the fans um, both before and during the event um, I think that, I mean, they did announce that they will be back in 2018. Um, and, you know, according to Kenny Omega, if you listen to what he says, he'd love to run a 20,000 seat arena. Not sure if that's going to be possible, but I feel like, I'm, I feel like I'm they, not saying they, it's not possible. they would be in the running for bigger venues than the 2000 seater they were in. Um, but you know, maybe not. Maybe not like Staples Center, but no. you know. I think they could easily do six. They could probably easily do eight. It would ten. It, it depends. You on know, the, it depends on where they go. There's a there's a big thing to consider here. They're not going to be able to hit small towns like WWE and fill an arena. They, I feel like no. they're going to have to tour big towns. So you'd have to do your LAs. You'd have to do. Your, you know, San Francisco. You'd have to do Chicago, New York, as much well, as thing, I would hope that that DC or Ball, uh, DC would be in that category too. But you know, you'd have to see. The biggest thing is really they have to find. So of the 
it was a little over 2,000. I think it was like 2,600 people both nights around that number. Um, and I think most of those people, like three quarters or more of those people, uh, were commute in to that event or, you know, flew in from other states, other mm-hmm. countries to see those Long Beach events. Mm-hmm. So if that's your metric, then you've got to go to a place that people will want to travel to. People will want to travel to Los Angeles. You know, people will want to travel to Orlando. Um, you know, it's not necessarily like people will want to travel to Chicago. You know, not saying that Chicago is not a great city. Uh, I was there for WrestleMania 22. I traveled there um, and had a great time. But, you know, Chicago isn't always warm and sunny and, you know, have theme parks and things like that, which, you know, people probably want to also do while they're going to see a wrestling show. Maybe. Uh, I think it's interesting that um, New Japan currently is planning to run in New Orleans uh, on WrestleMania weekend this year, uh, which generally is something that New Japan does not do. Um, that's not really their style and at that time uh they have many other things going on uh back in japan so it's it's interesting to see what the next move that new japan makes but i i think that by any stretch of the imagination that the g1 special was a huge success well and um it's not surprising they would wrestle the same city as wrestlemania on wrestlemania weekend that's something that ring of honor does that's something that evolve does a lot of a lot of independent promotions run a show that weekend. Um, the for yes, Orlando, I we, agree. we see that, but it's New Japan's never done that, and they've kind of made that's they've kind of made a point not to do that. And they've also I I forget which tournament it is, but they do have a tournament going on at that same time. And you know when New Japan does a tournament, they do should, a tournament. They should be best of the Super Juniors. It, it it might be. I think it's best um, of the Super Juniors is around April, um, so that would that would make sense. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's about right. Um, someone can correct us if they'd like. Uh, if I'm wrong, uh, let's hurry along because we've spent almost the entire hour talking about New Japan. Uh, okay, which has been a lot we of fun. We just have more shows this weekend. <laughs> we have more things to do. Uh, Austin Aries release. Are you surprised by this? Uh, um. Hmm. According to the stories that have come out, uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, of course, being at the forefront, apparently this was a relatively mutual decision as both parties were unhappy with their circumstance. And uh, Aries believed that he needed to get out of the Cruiserweight division. And I don't necessarily disagree, but he felt like he, he was better than that, which... In WWE, feeling like you're better than the spot that you're in, if you voice it negatively, generally hurts you, and I think that's what happened here. Yeah. Um, This is an interesting case because, you know, Austin Aries, though I'm sure he he appreciates and, and, and... likes the notoriety and the money and everything that he was getting from WWE, that's not really what drives him. Mm-hmm. Um, though hummus. it did become a factor. So, for instance, the pre-show matches were left off, at least the Cruiserweight uh, title match was left off of the WrestleMania DVD this year. Yes, which so that... So neither I heard that, Neville, so... 
So yeah. neither of them get any royalties from that because technically they don't appear on that home release. Yeah, which used to be a much bigger deal, um, but now I mean it's still a still a pretty big deal now. It still costs um, because, him money. Like that's yeah, that's not that definitely costs him money, and it costs Neville money too. Yeah, and they're not gonna they're not getting royalties. No one's getting royalties from the WWE network. That's actually a big lawsuit that's going going on right now. Right. Um so there was kind of animosity from Aries to WWE, but I think Aries' personality probably also didn't make him the favorite to the writers and to people who probably thought that they were they were giving Aries the shot, they were giving Aries a favor. Mm-hmm. So for any sort of criticism or backtalk or displeasure with his position in the company, uh, was seen as like we're we're doing this for you and it's not good enough and the kind of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so technically, I mean, I guess the way it resolved was WWE released Austin Aries. Austin Aries did not ask for his release, he but he was released, and that's important because if he had asked for his release and was released, um, then he would not probably be able to do anything i mean of course they could let him but most cases where people ask for their release they are held to the full term of their contract they're still paid their downside um, but pretty much they have to sit at home they're not allowed to work for any wrestling company uh certainly in the united states so well i know that um to the way that i understand this working is that he is has to get he has to get approval from them because he does have a non-compete um that's correct. But so he it, does I have to get approval from them, but he is, he is, he can go work shows as long as WWE doesn't have a problem with it. Yeah, and and, and from kind of the gist I got from it, they're, they're going to be pretty open about that. Yeah, I think so, WWE seems like they're doing better with their talent upon exit than they used to be. Um, in a lot of cases. I feel like they're, they're, I don't know if if something has changed. I know if I remember correctly, I believe uh, Triple H is essentially in charge of talent now, so maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, I think maybe. I mean, obviously, he has a different perspective on being a talent, so um, I think maybe the rules not necessarily will get looser. Um, like, make no mistake about it, WWE is still that shark, and they will go after people. Um, and if they see competition on the rise, they will do everything in their power to squander it. I mean, just look at the um, ITV deal uh, in in England with wrestling on uh, Channel Two uh, or Channel Three, whichever one. I believe it was uh, Channel, Four. Channel Four. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do saying, believe it was Channel Four. <laughs> I'm just saying numbers, and to people in England, they're like, "No, you bloody idiot!" That was the worst. That was the worst. Um, Let's move on because no one in England listens to us anyways. That's true. But so, I mean, WWE will will stamp down where they need to. But I think that, yes, uh, we're seeing kind of a broader and open mind when it comes to talent that's still under contract to them. But um, does work other places. I mean, Mauro coming back, Mauro Ronaldo, he's still going to do Showtime Boxing. Um, and some MMA. Uh, obviously, Jim Ross is announcing for Access TV for New Japan. For now, um, that he is finishing out his commitment there, and then he will be leaving. 
I believe right. Kevin Kelly will be coming in to take his place. Which is interesting because you I know, take it coming back. out. I take it back on the access part. I'm not sure about access. Kevin Kelly announced this weekend that he was leaving Ring of Honor to go do mm-hmm. announcing work for New Japan more. Uh, more announcing work for them. So he is actually going to be on the English version of New Japan World more frequently. So there's going to be more English commentary for New Japan uh, events, I think especially with the G1 Climax coming. Um, But I don't know if that also means he's going to Access. I don't think so. I think the Access deal is separate from New Japan, except for the fact that they're just an American distributor. Yeah, and that actually caused a huge problem with the G1 special. I don't know if you heard about it. Um, but so New Japan World is a streaming service akin to WWE Network, uh, but for New Japan. And their English uh, dubbed commentators are Kevin Kelly and Don Callis. And a lot of people, especially the wrestlers in New Japan, a lot of people internally in New Japan and the fans of New Japan consider Kevin Kelly and Don Callis to be the English language commentators. Um, Now, when it gets ported over to Access TV, uh, which was syndication, but now it was a live event Mm -hmm. due to the G1 special, they they were using Jim Ross and um, Josh Barnett. Correct. Um, so Kevin Kelly and Don Callis were in Long Beach, but Access, who were putting on the show, put the kibosh on them announcing. So there was a lot of heat there. Um, a lot of people thought that Kelly and Callis should have been the team commentating and then anytime Jim Ross and Josh Barnett made any sort of mistake which they did make a, a, a good amount of um, I mean they did the second night correct those mistakes and apologize for them like mixing up the Briscoes not knowing you know the names of the finishing moves like the lethal injection or lethal combination um, and some other things like that um, anytime those mistakes were made, they were kind of under a microscope because all the fans were wanting and were were sour about the fact that Don Callis and Kevin Kelly weren't commentating. And the interesting thing on this is night one was aired live on Access, but night two was taped and aired the next week But it, for Access, but it was aired live on New Japan World. So one would think that when it aired live on New Japan World that Don Callis and Kevin Kelly should have been the commentators, but that was not the case. Access TV used whatever pool they had to make it uh, Josh Barnett and Jim Ross. So a lot of animosity, a lot of um, kind of sourness towards Access Television, and unfortunately that kind of trickled down to Jim Ross and Josh Barnett, who it's really not their fault. Um, It wasn't their call, and they were just doing their job. so, you know, that was kind of the big stink coming out of it. So I would be surprised if Kevin Kelly signed a deal with Access after all that. Um, now, he could. I mean, if there's money in it, you know, for him, um, I'm sure it would be a smart business decision. But I think at this point, um, the relationship is tenuous at best. Yeah, I'm, I'm unsure about what their plan is moving forward. Um, it was my understanding that Jim Ross would no longer be calling, and he was essentially fulfilling 
the remainder of his contract. That being said, we are starting to see certain people are able to do multiple promotions. Jim Ross might have worked that into his deal that he is still able to call Access TV because for the most part, Access TV, you're not doing a ton of live stuff. You go in and you you shoot, uh, you do voiceover commentary for a couple, you know, once every couple of months, and that's it. You're done. So you go do it for a couple of days, you're done for the next couple of months. So it's kind of an easy gig. We are we are already over time, and we haven't talked about balls, great balls of fire. So we should do this rapid fire because we really need to wrap this up sometimes. But there's soon. so many good things to say. But okay, we'll uh, we'll do great balls of fire rapid fire style. Do you want to talk about it next week? Because we also have to preview battleground. I mean, we could we could push it off to then. I mean, or I mean, really, we don't have to run down the whole card. But I mean, there was really only two matches that stuck out in my mind, and that was the thirty minute Iron Man match mm-hmm. and the uh, main event. I, I guess would, the ambulance match. I would add the ambulance match to that. After. Not Heath Slater versus Kurt Hawkins, which somehow Let's made Let's this pick card that one apart. Yeah, we didn't even get to see the finish of Slater and Hawkins. Talk By the way, about apparently Slater beat Dobber. Hawkins. Yeah, I don't know. I just heard a bell ring. So, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, the thirty-minute Iron Man match. What did you think? Other than a couple of funky referee moments, what did you think? Um, interesting. Um, the open was different, but then again, why don't do? Why don't you do that in every tag match? Where it would be the end of the match if you did the kind of bait and switch thing. Gotta sell tickets, man. Um, but I think it got people into the match, but you know, I don't, I think it wore off quickly. And I think the first 20 minutes to 22 minutes of the match were kind of useless. Um, but the last five, six minutes were really good. Can't you say that about most Iron Man matches though? Um, like a lot of Iron Man matches kind of feel the nature of it. You know, a lot of things fall into that kind of like the two out of three falls match to the first two falls really matter. Um, yeah, yes and no. Um, it really depends. You know, I've seen Iron Man matches that even the last five minutes didn't really do anything for me, so. <laughs> well, there's been some of those, too. Um, so, the Cesaro and Sheamus keep their titles. Um, mm-hmm. let's see. I just want to make sure. So, Neville already defeated Tozawa. He keeps his title. Big Cass squashes Enzo Amore. Um, Wyatt and Rollins have a pretty solid match where Wyatt actually wins... Uh, not clean per se, but he does get a pinfall without too many shenanigans. Um, Alexa Bliss loses via countout, keeps her title. Intercontinental Champion Miz defeats Dean Ambrose. Ambulance match, which I thought almost killed the end of the show um, as Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns have what you assumed they were going to have, which was a big brawling fight. And surprisingly so, I assume Strowman was losing right till the end of the match when Roman Reigns decided to be a nut uh, knucklehead and speared himself into the ambulance. Well, that's important, you know, for what comes next. Is that well? Yes, it, Roman it is. Lost. Roman Reigns lost because he was an idiot. <laughs> you know, he didn't. Strowman didn't cheat. Strowman didn't do anything dastardly. 
um, to beat Roman Reigns. I mean, he certainly beat him up during the match, but Roman Reigns lost due to a mistake on his part, and he was at fault for it 100%. And then, of course, uh, you know, the great face, Roman Reigns, throws Braun Strowman into the back of the ambulance um, after beating him down, then proceeds to jump in the front of the ambulance and tries to commit homicide. Well, he throws the ambulance driver out to the ground. Yes. Hijacks the ambulance. So yes. right there we have two crimes. <laughs> oh, we haven't we even have gotten to the worst. Grand Theft yet. Auto and assault. He, okay, so he's uh, got a he's got a one star uh, wanted rating in, yes. in GTA. Go on. In GTA, uh, then the kidnapping because he's all right. Bra- we're he's up got to Braun in the back. I'd say okay. we're up to uh, we're up to two. He drives the ambulance into the backstage area. Recklessly. We're up to three. Recklessly taking out some equipment along the way. Um, Stops, kind of, you know, positions the car, stops, looks in the rear view mirror, or the side mirror, I should say, and notices an 18-wheeler parked uh, behind him about 150 yards, I would say. Oh, it wasn't that far. Well, I mean, it was. It wasn't. He he had time to get up to speed. I'd say it was maybe maybe 150 feet. Uh, 150 yards is a long way. I would say it was at least at least 50 yards. But anyway, he steps on the gas, puts the pedal to the floor, and and moves the ambulance in reverse and crashes into. This 18-wheeler um, kind of uh, accordioning, accordion folding the back of the ambulance with Braun inside of it. So there's okay, that's a, a four-star on a GTA. Attempted homicide, if not homicide. Um, then, then you know, lets himself out of the car, and while authority figures are coming up to ask him what the hell happened, he runs off. That's Please five the stars. The helicopters are coming after him now. Yeah. So you know what a what a baby face poster boy for the company that all the kids are supposed to look up to and love. I told you Roman Reigns is the best heel in the company. But he but they're not presenting him as one. There's there and and what made me even more angry was there was no recourse the next night on Raw. What are you talking about? He got put in a t- in a, fir- a number one contenders match against Samoa Joe. That's that's the worst thing that could have happened to Roman. Oh come on! <laughs> and 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 if this wasn't the biggest and greatest double turn I've ever seen in pro wrestling, the most the unspoken um, double turn. The unspoken double turn, the the paramedics come, the firefighters come, they use the jaws of life to open up the back of the ambulance. Which was just uncomfortably, it took an uncomfortably long time to get that done. Yes, it made me more worried about ever getting in a car accident because <laughs> if, you know, if you're actually in peril, uh, every second is precious and they kind of took their sweet time with the jaws of they life. They gave Braun plenty of time to put that blood all over him. Yes, yes, yes. So they they pop the door, the side door open to the ambulance, and they try to get Braun on the gurney, but he fights him off. He can't really get his footing. He stumbles a few times before pausing to say, leave me alone, 
and wandering off into the sunset. And we so, haven't seen him since. No, we we did not see him. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. He did take time to smear his blood all over the side of a white tour bus. Which I think was, as you had mentioned before, I th- we think that's Seth Rollins' tour bus. Yes. Take that, because I, I do. I was specifically remember saying, "Oh no, look, there's a white tour bus in the right before he comes out." Oh, that's Seth Rollins' tour bus in the background. Well, and he, he walk. He's so so. Rollins, so I should. Uh, Strowman is stumbling towards it. And I'm like, well, all right. Well, hopefully he doesn't go. Oh no, he's wiping his blood all over it. <laughs> now a good storyline would be for that to be some heels tour bus like the Miz's tour bus and then the Miz is mad and and sticks Strowman with the cleaning bill that would be good that would be really funny if the Miz stepped out of the tour bus like holding an ice pack or something after his match and is just like in he's just furious he sees Strowman covered in blood clearly just in a in a car accident and goes oh my god I can't believe it Look what you did to my Torva. <laughs> that would be so perfect for the Miz. Cre- creative. We're we're here. Just give we're us a here. call. Call shoot us an email. We'll we'll fill you in. Over the barricade podcast at gmail.com. Let us in. <laughs> um, and then of course the uh, Universal Championship match which I actually was much less I wasn't super disappointed in this. Um, no, I think it was good, but I think it'll be Better if that's not the end of it. They really need to have a second match. Because oh yeah, Joe Joe Lesnar right now. The heat for that match is so much better than anything they can do with Roman. Yeah, agreed. It's like the reaction when Joe came out on Raw the next night. Oh, <laughs> in what was a pretty mainstream WWE town. Um, yeah, and um, the promo, I mean, really, a lot of Raw was just kind of there, but uh, the promo between Samoa Joe, Paul Heyman, Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, and Roman Reigns kind of off to the side. Kurt uh, Angle was, was the weakest in that whole promo, which is saying something. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Him and him and Roman probably tied for me for the weakest. But um, yeah, the, Roman, the, the Roman little bit that. of business that Joe did with uh, Lesnar in that promo was really a, a kind of a different feel, a more authentic feel, a more kind of these two are about to get in a real fight feel than the WWE uh, has done in a long time. So that was that was really good. Um, uh, let's burn through we're all really quick. Uh, the Good Brothers pick up a victory. After the Hardys tease the broken gimmick yet again, now they're just mm-hmm. toying with us. Um, let's see. Which any... Jeff Jarrett said in a press call uh, they hadn't acquired, and thus that story continues to blow up. You know, uh, Re- Rebby Hardy is very angry at them. You should look at her Twitter. Oy. Um Roman Reigns, Samoa Joe confronting Brock Lesnar. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Reigns-Joe match next week, although we all know how it's going to end and it's going to suck. We found out that uh, the weird Kurt Angle uh, personal story thing that involves Corey Graves is coming to light next week. Uh, Who do you think that is real quick, by the way? I I couldn't tell you. I have a really horrible suspicion it's Stephanie McMahon, but I don't think so. Um, I think that would be preferable to Dixie Carter, which some people think it might be. Please don't be Dixie Carter. That would be the worst. 
Um, it would be the worst, but they're in Nashville, so it could be the oh, case. Oh, no, you're right. Oh, oh this is going to be awful. Um, Bray Wyatt defeats Seth Rollins, and now we're going to get a mini Shield reunite, but this time with Rollins and Ambrose uh, taking on Miz and somebody else. Um, Probably Wyatt. Bigger story on SmackDown. New champion AJ Styles after winning the U.S. title off of Kevin Owens at MSG. At a house show. At a house show. Because they don't film in MSG anymore. Um, I guess they could. They, they do specials like there, a... but they don't do TV there, and I'm not 100% sure why. I think it might be because they do stuff at Brooklyn, and part of that deal means they can't do MSG. Perhaps. Anyways, um, we get a Cena-Styles confrontation, so maybe a hint at what might happen at SummerSlam. We might get one more Cena-Styles match for SummerSlam, which I wouldn't necessarily be upset about. Uh, Jinder Mahal beats up Ty Dillinger, so Ty Dillinger finally gets on SmackDown two weeks in a row and loses both times. I'm a little upset. Uh, <laughs> Xavier Woods beats Jey Uso. Uh, Nakamura and Baron Corbin don't have a match because Nakamura probably won't have a match again until Battleground, where he'll probably... Uh, win by DQ after Corbin knocks Nakamura with the briefcase. That's my prediction. Um, let's see. Anything else that ha- Oh, uh, Sami Zayn. We're getting... We know very clearly who Mike Kanellis is, a.k.a. Mike Bennett's first uh, matchup is going to be. It's going to be against... Uh, or Sami Zayn and Mike Kanellis will probably face off at Battleground. I'm intrigued to see where this goes because I think Zayn... This will be a one-and-done for Zayn and uh, Kanellis before he moves on to something else. And then, um, yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, those commercials for the Toyota Corolla where they're like, it's everyone's best first car. Um, that's kind of Sami Zayn right now and has been for a little bit. You know, when somebody comes onto the main restaurant, he's everyone's best first feud. Sami Zayn is slowly becoming Cien, uh, Andrade Cien Almas for what he is for NXT. Um, yeah, not a good place to be. Because it also seems like um, it's it's not yeah just not a good spot. You, you don't get too many W's in that position. No, no, you don't. At least not not in, against new people or in matches that matter. Um, and then Cena and AJ Styles tag team against Owens and Rusev. Uh, Cena getting the pin on Owens. No super surprise there. Um, I feel like they're just teasing Cena and Styles for SummerSlam. Yeah, I mean, not horrible. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they had kind of that great match at uh, Royal Rumble. And they uh, had a couple good matches last year. Yeah. With SummerSlam and, included. I wouldn't necessarily be upset about it. I, I guess I feel like I would like something new, but at the same time, like, Cena's been gone a while. Styles is a different character now. I wouldn't necessarily be upset with another Cena-Styles matchup because they have been really good. Um, you know, it's one of those things, like, we've seen what two or three singles matches for them uh one-on-one against each other i'm okay with another one i think it hasn't been overdone yet it feels a little bit fresh now yeah um, and it might be the i mean biggest obviously name. there's other programs it might you be would want to see it might be the biggest name matchup they could put on for SummerSlam, which is why i think they'd do it yeah i mean I, besides brock i mean whoever brock's in well for for smackdown thing. The biggest yeah, name SmackDown, matchup definitely. you're going to get for SmackDown. I think it 
if I was fantasy booking it, Cena Styles at SummerSlam, I'm okay with. Eventually, position Nakamura versus Styles in any capacity for WrestleMania, because you know they can blow the roof off a building. Yeah, I think that's the plan. I hope that's the plan. Um, and I think that we all hope that's the plan because we all we all saw know, Wrestle Kingdom 11. Yeah, and, and I think that like you know, Cena is just in a holding pattern until they need to push him to Raw. So if this is the holding pattern match we get, I'm fine with it. I have a feeling that he will spend until SummerSlam on SmackDown and then will show up on Raw leading up to Survivor Series. I could see kind of a big four thing where every big four pay-per-view he kind of switches brands and does another another uh, another thing. But it could also be something where we see him for SummerSlam and then Survivor Series, and then we don't see him until after the Rumble, or he shows back up in the Rumble and has a match with Reigns at uh, Mania. Uh, yeah, it could be. I mean, anything's possible. I, I really don't know what they're doing. I, I mean, I've just heard the rumor that it's him and, and, and Reigns at uh, WrestleMania. So I think I don't it's know. probably a good rumor. Know you know that'll Reigns be the main event, be too. Champion or, Man, or would, the fans, would the fans riot over that match or would they back cena i think you're gonna see them backing cena but it's it's gonna be a really a like a screwy psychology to the hardcore fans which are most of the people that travel to wrestlemania yeah it's gonna be fun it's gonna be weird to see that happen i hope they don't they don't crap on the match because i actually think it could be a good match i would i would like to see cena get the cheers because i think that's more likely than roman getting them um, but either way, we have gone well over time. Next week, we will hopefully not have quite as much to discuss. Uh, maybe you and I have both been kind of working our way through Glow on Netflix. Maybe we'll chat about that in addition to our preview for Battleground. Uh, we're we're back in the cycle. Recap this week, preview next week, recap the following week. Um, and uh, I know that the G1 climax is starting soon. So we will probably discuss that a little bit and any other breaking news that happens. Um, uh, one piece of breaking news, to a degree, uh, you announced earlier this week you are going to be wrestling in ACW in a couple weeks. Yeah, July 28th, I believe. It's Friday. Um, Denton, Maryland, Denton Fire Hall, Adrenaline Championship Wrestling. Uh, we'll be having a show there, and uh, yours truly will be on it. Um, so come out and see me, uh, you know, find me on, uh, Facebook, uh, I'm Lee Brando or Twitter, Instagram and, uh, Snapchat at Lee Brando underscore. Uh, you can send me a message on any of those platforms and I will tell you how to get tickets, uh, if you want to come out and support indie wrestling, which, uh, is a great thing to support, great value for entertainment and, uh, you know, as Mickey James once told me, she loves indie wrestling because you never know who you're going to see and who those people are going to become. As your podcast co-host, I am obligated to be there. So I will be there, which yeah. makes it sound like and I Ryan don't want to be, be there. there. Uh, but I do want to be there. So I will enjoy my time. Um, I know last time I went to an ACW show... I uh, I met the the great Teddy Long, WWE Hall of Famer. Got his autograph, hanging on my well. It was hanging on my wall, as uh, Cheap Seat Studios been... is being relocated. It's come down off my wall, but um, 
and there's been heat between us ever since. Uh, you mean you mean us since I since I hung up my wonderful picture of Teddy Long that he signed and uh, have you've had to look at it every podcast you've recorded? Yes, yes. Well, you get a partner, I get a partner. We're gonna have ourselves a tag team match. Holla holla holla! All right, you and Teddy Long versus me and literally anyone. My cat Gilbert. <laughs> Gilbert. No, I don't like him either. <laughs> Okay, then maybe Gilberg will be my partner. <laughs> now it's a three-on-one. <laughs> well, Teddy's a Teddy's a manager. He's not an in-ring performer. If All any, right. if anything, I'm also a manager. So I'm just gonna put my money on Gilberg, and we're just gonna go from there. Is this the length of a double episode yet? Can we bill it as a double episode? <laughs> no, we're we're at almost ninety minutes, so we need to stop. All right, all right. Well, I got my plugs in. You should put the plugs in for the show. Follow us on Twitter, at Barricade Show. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Barricade Show. On SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Barricade Show. And search iTunes and Google Play for the Over the Barricade podcast. As I mentioned earlier, send us an email, over the barricade podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you are interested in suggesting topics for us, we are always interested in different ideas. We want to find out what you guys are interested in. Although uh, we do enjoy ourselves talking about what we want to talk about, we also love picking up different topics and different ideas. So reach out to us. Let us know. Um, thanks for listening all this way. If you have, you're a saint. Um, and fair. <laughs> we will be back next week to uh, preview Battleground and see what other shenanigans have come up in the world of pro wrestling. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Glow because we've been putting it off because we haven't watched it all yet. Um, hey, I'm three or four episodes in. Okay, I'm, I'm doing I'm my one, part. I am one episode further in than you are, and we didn't plan that. It just happened to be that way. That's um, true. Also, in, enjoy Game of Thrones this weekend because that's coming back too. So... Our wrestling pay per views are about to have some some competition from from that blasted HBO. Ah, start. So Battleground is going to have to be a choice between episode two of the new season of Game of Thrones or Battleground. Well, that's not a hard choice for me, seeing as I don't watch Game of Thrones. So you don't know the type of internal conflict and struggle that's happening right now in, inside of me. Well, I'll fill you in uh, if you need to make that choice. To be fair, I'm really probably only going to miss the main event, which is going to be a Punjabi prison match. So I can go back and watch that. <laughs> we'll discuss this you, next week. You, you can go back and watch that. Isn't the I network don't know if you will great. want to? Um, okay, uh, that'll do it for us this week. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Adios. <laughs>